You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes and even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will thrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello! I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the GFR show. It's a very special episode featuring moi, and it'll be released on both audio and video because this is an important one. And I know that I'm going to want this for my own life journal recording. And also because I think it's important that I'm on camera for it. And I think you'll understand why here in in just a minute as I jump in. So welcome. This is one of my Lisa's confession episodes. So the last really juicy one that I did that I was nervous about was episode 11. And we're into the 80s in our episodes. And it was called how opening up my marriage juiced up my business. And it really felt like a coming out about my beliefs around non-monogamy and just my journey and and all that. And actually, this one is not completely unrelated to that one. And you'll you'll hear why in just a minute. I really thank you for listening, for being here, whether you're watching on video or listening to it in audio version. My intention is that you hear something that you need to hear and that it activates something in you that is meant to be activated in the divine right time, in the divine right way. I've had the courage to do this today because in the small audiences where I have shared it with my clients, which I often share a lot with my clients, it was my 50th birthday in June and I did a Zoom party and I shared this with my closest girlfriends, some new and and some didn't know the whole story. They were so super supportive and so encouraging. And they said, you know, Lisa Cherney, this is what you do. (laughs) You kind of go out ahead of us and, you know, we need you to do that. And so that was super encouraging. So I am still in process around what I'm about to share, very much still in process, which means that I still feel super nervous about being so vulnerable. And I still feel like I'm I'm still in it. You know, I haven't come through it. And that's okay. I feel like I'm sharing what I am ready to share. And I appreciate your support. And yeah, I'm gonna trust the notes. I may, you may it looks like I'm reading at some points because. There were some things that I just, I really wanted to make sure I set them in a certain way, in a certain order, and I'm going to try not to go off script too much, which is really hard for me. If you know me at all, you know, that's super hard for me. So I'm just going to jump in here. I turned 50 this year and I've made a radical decision about my life. This has been brewing for more than 30 years. And despite my unapologetic nature there, this is an area of my life that still had shame. In fact, I just realized it 
back in December. So just in the past year, it was hidden deep down. And for those of us that are spiritual peeps and do our work, sometimes things do need, they are, they're hidden so far down. It was obscured because it was so similar to how most people think that I didn't see it actually. And I'm still like gobsmacked that this huge part of my life was not authentic. Hello, GFR journey. (laughs) So this is coming from somebody, me, who goes against the crowd in many areas of my life, right? And I'm pretty public about it. And it does take courage. And I'm not always fearless. There is some trepidation, even naming my show, Get Fucking Real. I had to go through a process of people telling me that I should do that and then come to a place where it felt good to me. It really has become fun and fulfilling to be public about things that are like that can create dissonance, right? That can create like, I agree with her. I disagree with her kind of. So some of those things have been, you can only love one person at a time. You can't let kids decide what to eat or when to go to sleep. And if you hear the episode with my daughter, Bella, you'll learn a lot more about the product of that kind of parenting. You must use social media to market your business. I don't believe that. You should keep your commitments at all costs. (laughs) I don't believe that either. And you shouldn't close a business that is successful and that people like. And I did that in 2014, close a seven figure business that was just not resonating with me. I question everything. It's just a matter of practice. And I hold space for my clients to do the same. I give them permission. I give them permission, in fact, to do it their way on their terms, prioritizing what feels good over what is strategic or what is smart. And I'm using air quotes for those of you that are just listening to me on audio. However, I was not doing this when it came to my body. And when we're out of alignment with what we stand for, if I'm not GFRing, when we're out of alignment with what we stand for, it could slow down our business and cause all kinds of other illness and all kinds of things. So here goes. I have been on a journey, (laughs) a journey with my body and my relationship with food and exercise too. From Weight Watchers when I was a teen, which my mom worked for at the time, and a liquid diet in college between my freshman and sophomore year, to my junior year joining Overeaters Anonymous and being as part of that 12-step program all through my 20s. In my 30s, I was pregnant with Bella and a new mom. But it didn't take me long to get into detoxing and shakes and low carb and no dairy and sugar and white flour and all those kinds of things. Now, in my 40s, I finally accepted my curvy body. And, you'll, and I talk about that a lot in that episode 11, because that was a huge sexual renaissance for me and for me to realize what I find attractive, what other people find attractive, and to realize I didn't need to look a certain way. I just didn't need to look a certain way. So I really embraced my curvy body in my 40s. And you know what they say about women in their 40s, wink, wink, (laughs) and their sexual renaissance. So in the last few years, I actually believed I healed my last bit of crazy around food with intermittent fasting. I think I did an episode that has stuff about intermittent fasting because I was so proud of what I learned. And I actually was feeling really comfortable and certain that this is something I can do for the rest of my life. I loved it. I took food out of the equation for basically three quarters of the day. Craving subsided. I dropped weight, which wasn't a primary goal, but that was a byproduct. And then I really got hooked on it. (laughs) It stabilized my hormones. I healed my gut. Like I can go on and on about it. 
And I got a lot of positive feedback about how I looked because that's what we do. We think, you know, we just really always compliment weight loss, right? I felt like I could do intermittent fasting forever. And then the pandemic hit. (laughs) Anybody else get shaken up by the pandemic in some area of their life? So a unique set of circumstances surfaced more shit (laughs) for me around food and moving my body. Anybody relate? (laughs) So it took me a bit before I confessed this to myself, but I could see disordered eating behaviors happening on the weekends where I was like, keeping it together during the week. But on the weekends, I would sort of let it fly. And then letting it fly got more and more and more where I could just feel like this, I'm not feeling, this is not me. I'm not feeling centered. I'm not feeling good. It's just, it's not working. And even more importantly, there was emotional backlash. It lacked uh, self-compassion, right? I was not being self-loving, which is a big red flag for me. Like, fuck, (laughs) like, fuck. I thought I healed this. I just, ugh. Anybody else feel like they healed something? And then you just realize there's another cut. There's another layer. I thought I loved my body. I even found exercise I enjoy. I thought I had a healthy relationship with food after all these years. Basically, I ate whatever I wanted, right? Sort of, maybe. (laughs) Maybe it was whatever I wanted, but it certainly wasn't whenever with intermittent fasting. And it wasn't without guilt. And I still had a lot of rules. The decision I made in my 50th year of life as a human being having a spiritual experience on this planet is I am no longer going to try to control the size and the shape of my body. I am done. I'm going to stop mental and physical food restriction, AKA diets, which really don't work for the long term for many, many people. And there's physiological backlash with weight gain and all that kind of stuff. And for me, you know, overeating has always been sort of where I go. So I am declaration. I am going to allow all foods and I'm going to learn to love the body that I get. (laughs) Fucking scary. Yes. So I am going to really listen to my body. I'm new to this journey and I'm not an expert. I am not expert. So I've included a ton of resources um, below this episode or this video of books and podcasts and videos and things. So if you're kind of like, he's a journey. No, that's not true. Whatever. Go, go read about it. I'll point you to some resources. You can go read more about it. What I am an expert at is I am an expert at my intuition and knowing what feels good to me. And this feels good. This feels like my soul is happy. That's how good this feels. And I also call it liberating. I would say it feels very, very liberating. It's going to be a journey. The biggest part so far, that's the the hardest part is accepting a bigger body and then healing my internalized fat phobia, fear of being fat and the diet culture brainwashing. That's the hardest part and will be the hardest part. And I'm up for the challenge. I have told the universe, yes, I'm in, I'm in. So y'all, I think this is the last thing for me. Like, I think this is the last territory. And as one of my GFR squad members said, Steve, he said, because he's expert on stories, he said, this sounds like this has been a central theme for your life. And it totally has. It totally has. I mean, my journey with my body, like I could just remember being little and running around the Thanksgiving table with the treats on it, the candies and all that kind of stuff and not wanting to go too far from that table because I didn't want it to leave my sight because that's to me was the most fun thing about the event. 
so yeah, I do, I do really believe that this is sort of the final like territory in my being that has some restriction or is that in a box? I wonder what yours is, you know, what's that final territory? Is it clutter and mess? Is it your money and just really messy money stuff? Is it your relationships, right? This is mine. This is really mine. So this is the best 50th birthday present that I could ever give myself. Really the gift of loving me. That's what I feel like it is. So 12 surprising things I've discovered along the way. So this is going to be a bulk of what I share. And it is along the way. So this has been about nine months of a journey. So I started in January. And it's so funny. The first book that I discovered, and you cannot make this shit up, is The Fuck It Diet. (laughs) Seriously. And it so spoke to me and the author just I so resonated with. And it is based on uh, a philosophy called intuitive eating, but she really addresses sort of all the ways that people fuck it up and make it more complicated than it needs to be. And of course, obviously she speaks my language, very frank. And so I really appreciate that. So I found that book in January and it started my journey. So it's been about nine months. And these are the 12 things that I've discovered along the way. So number one, there is such a thing as intuitive eating. And you would think with my whole journey that I would have come across it because the original intuitive eating book is published about 25 years ago, but somehow it just totally missed my radar. And of course, link to that book and all the other things I'm going to mention are in the show notes or under the video. Intuitive eating, the way to think about it, it's kind of like what we did as a baby, right? Like when we were a baby, we like ate when we were hungry, we stopped when we were full, like we didn't really think much about it. Maybe sometimes even into being a toddler, we kind of we're doing that until our parents interfered, right? Until they imposed on us like their will or their rules about vegetables or whatever, or their preferences on us. And it's one thing that I have worked my ass off to not do to my daughter. And I feel like I've been successful. She's so fucking normal with food. It's like, I look at her sometimes like, there's a piece of one bite on your plate. And she just, she just does what she does. And it's really beautiful. So Intuitive eating is where we started. And it's something I believe that I've discovered that we can really get back to. The second thing is, this is so powerful. Any out of control feelings, behaviors, or fears about food have come from me trying to control it, restrict it, or make food bad. Mental restriction really fucked me up, which mental restriction is labeling food as bad or giving food morality. Oh my God, we do this. It's bad. It's good. If I eat it, I'm bad. If I eat it, I'm good. It's so fucked up. And the guilt and the shame that comes from it. So that's mental restriction. And the physical restriction is everything from fasting, right? And low carb or macro counting or calorie counting. And for what I've learned for me is that it caused a physiological response that created cravings on overeating and obsession with food and also weight gain. So when I think back to my liquid diet that I had between my, I went on between my freshman and my sophomore year of college, where I gained, I lost like 30 pounds because I gained like the freshman 50, not the freshman, whatever they say. But I think I, I don't know. I lost a bunch of weight in the, over the summer. And of course I got a ton of attention when I got back, but that was right before I real, like I called myself addicted to food and I started Ovaries Anonymous, which was a beautiful chapter in my life, gave me my spirituality, begrudge it. But I'm just saying now I'm realizing, of course, (laughs) after a liquid diet for a few months, of course, I'm going to feel out of control. It just makes so much sense to me now. I also realized that diets don't work. They work for a short term. 
but very few people go on a diet, lose the weight and keep it off forever without ever having to think about dieting again right? And probably you're among those people. And maybe you're one in a hundred of the miracle person that like does the diet, loses the weight and goes on with their life. Right. But most people, they don't work. And I needed to come to terms with that for myself. And there's a ton more I could say on this. And uh, what I'll do is I'll refer you to books that were really helpful to me called Body Respect and uh, Health at Every Size. Lots of science and studies and all kinds of examples to the cows come home. Another great new book is called Food Isn't, Me- Isn't Medicine. <laughs> Again, this is just something that I have come to really feel is true for me and my belief system. So the third surprising thing that I discovered along the way was that if I bring, some of you may not even believe this, I couldn't. If I bring a bad, scary, forbidden food into my house, and allow myself to eat it as much as I want, eventually the buzz and the excitement around that food wears off. This is me with my mouth open, right? I, I, I couldn't even believe it. And I was so terrified to try it. I did this with muffins and chocolate and ice cream and cookies and chips and mozzarella sticks, one of my favorite, and bagels and peanut butter cups and you name it. It is now neutralized for me without any other healing modalities or whiz bangy magic. It was just allowing myself to eat it as much as I want, whenever I wanted. And now I have to tell you that I can't even get like excited. Like I don't, I'm not like, Oh, like the best evidence of my healing is that I did a, a interactive hosted an interactive event, a half day retreat. And my thing after doing hosting an event was I would have French fries. It was like my celebration food. Well, I was done with that event. And I was like, do I my French fries? No, nah, I don't feel like it. Like that's what I'm feeling about most of these food. I don't feel like it. And this is something that I learned through people that are in and around sort of the intuitive or eating or undieting people call it sort of movement. So here's another surprising thing. And maybe this might be the one thing that you take away that you can use right away without actually changing much of your thinking. So this for me, if clothes don't fit, there's something wrong with the clothes, not me right? I mean, right. (laughs) If the clothes don't fit, there's something wrong with the damn clothes, not me and not my body. Buying clothes that fit is so fucking healing immediately, immediately. I don't know. It's like we torture ourselves wearing clothes that don't fit. And what I learned even sort of deeper is that when I'm wearing clothes that are tight or cutting into my body or uncomfortable, it actually creates like a lack of safety in my body. Oh, what a horrible thing to do to myself. Wearing clothes that fit feels so good. It feels so good. Get over that the label is a different number. And that's a thing. It's really a thing. But I see that I could look cute in bigger clothes. And I can get used to the label, even being a bigger, a different number. The number on the label that used to rule my world has become far, far less important. It is, I am not cured. And that's why I say I'm still in process, but far less important. And soon my intention is that it will mean nothing. So the fifth surprising thing that I have learned along the way here is that emotional eating is normal. They would have us think that there's something majorly wrong with us if we eat ice cream, if we're depressed. (laughs) And I learned that we all do it. We all have emotion connected with food, whether that's celebrating with a drink or eating because we're sad or stressed. What we don't want is that we don't want that to be our only coping strategy, right? It's sort of like to the extreme, we don't want that, right? We we want to, we don't want to use it for weeks or months at a time. 
but a little emotional eating is totally okay. And I found great comfort in that. Like, I remember hearing that for so many of these ideas, y'all. I remember hearing for the first time in a podcast or reading in a book. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, of course. Emotional eating is like totally normal. We just don't want it to be our only coping mechanism. All right. So the sixth surprising thing that I learned the wrong, by the way, there's 12 of these. And uh, I don't know if I said that from the beginning, but it's just so funny. I just, everything I do is 12s. Um, I didn't plan it that way. Okay. So the sixth surprising thing that I learned along the way so far is that if I eat intuitively and I listen to my body and avoid mental and physical restriction, my body will find its natural set point in terms of its size and shape and all that. Right. If I eat intuitively, listen to my body, let go of mental and physical restriction and find the peace that I have with food, which is amazing. My body will find its way to a natural set point. And, you know, it may take a year or more, which I've had to totally adjust to because in the dieting world, it's much quicker, right? Like much quicker results, but it eventually will settle at the weight it's supposed to be. And if I did this from the start when I was much younger and didn't try to control the size of my body. And when I look back, and you may find this too, you look back at pictures and you look at your body and like, oh my God, I just remember feeling so fat or whatever. And you weren't when you look back now. So I feel from what I've learned and what I believe now that if I did that from the very beginning, perhaps my body would be smaller. I don't know. Baby would be a different size. I don't know. Because of all the diet abuse, there's a physiological thing that happens where your set point can change because of it's going from starvation mode and feeling restriction. And it's like, there's all kinds of science that I don't want feel like explaining is not my thing, but there's so much in the books, body respect and health at every size around that. So I believe my body will find its natural set point. That is what I believe. And so right now, I've, one of the reasons why I felt like it's important to do this on video, because I do have some self-consciousness coming up with the change in the size of my body. I know that I'm healing. And so that's okay. And I don't know where I'm going to, you know, I just don't know where I'm going to wind up, but boy, am I having a spiritual, deep spiritual journey along the way here. Okay. Now we're getting into some juicy bits here that had me realize kind of why I was so obsessed with changing my body size, why I did feel so strongly that I needed to look a certain way and where all that sort of originated. Number seven of the surprising things I've learned along the way is I am fucked up <laughs> in my views on what my body should look like. And I thought that I had come such a long way, but I was still trying to control and I still had judgment. I would pass myself in the mirror and I would have a very subtle, quick thought. Like I wasn't like, you're ugly. It wasn't overt. It was so subtle, but it was there. I realized that I have serious, unconscious, anti-fat bias and internalized fat phobia. And it's not my fault. And if you have it too, it's not your fault. This is our society. It's our American culture. It's what our parents learned and what they learned from their parents. Everybody is drinking the diet Kool-Aid. Everybody is drinking the Kool-Aid of this is what healthy and what right looks like. So here's just an example of one of my uh, fat phobic, anti-fat bias beliefs that I've uncovered. Okay. I'm still like, ugh. okay. So here it is. I believe fat people are not as credible as skinny people. They must have issues, quote unquote, or they must have quote unquote, let themselves go. And they can't possibly be smart, powerful role models or leaders. Oh my God. I'm just like, 
hanging my head here. So I realized that is what I think of other fat people. And of course, it means that's what I think of me. And that is a core of what has been driving me to look a certain way. Primarily for me, professional, I can't be a transformational coach or this whatever purse GFR, like I can't be that if I'm fat because that means I got issues and it's just not fucking true. (sighs) And I got, I got a whole list of those beliefs that I'm working through and I'm realizing which ones are from me, which ones are from society. Kind of like another belief that's pretty global is just that being skinnier is better being fat under any circumstance. So that brings me to number eight of things that I have, surprising things I've discovered along the way of this journey so far. The medical world has a major anti-fat bias and it feeds the diet culture. I've learned to ask when I see stuff, who's profiting from this? It is a fascinating thing to ask. Who is profiting from this? With every ad I see, every new diet, the latest one is like, I think it's like, intuitive intermittent fasting, which is bullshit. There's no such thing. It's like, oh my God, it makes me crazy. And every new product. The fact is there are as many unhealthy skinny people as there are fat people, right? We all know unhealthy skinny people, but somehow we just forget about that. Skinny people also have bad knees and bad hips and all that stuff. It's not just bigger people. And also, by the way, thin people also get cancer and they get heart disease and You always hear about the, oh, they jogged this minute. I can't believe they dropped it. They were so healthy, right? That's because all that is an illusion. And there's a lot that goes into what uh, makes people healthy. This is what I learned too. Like there are multiple factors that impact someone's health. I kind of believe that it all came down to what I ate and how I moved my body. It was like nothing else, right? So it made me feel like I was totally responsible. And that's just not true. There's genetics. There's sleep and how much, like how much rest you're getting. There's access to healthcare. There is stress. There is your race and culture. And then there's just your plain environment that you're living in and being in or have lived in. So that's, I don't know how many that is, but that's many more than just what I eat and how I move my body. And again, body respect and health at every size. Those are like sort of the Bibles. The health at every size is a big movement now. They have an extensive website that goes into a lot. They even have these cool new, I can't remember what they call them, like health sheets, where they have ones on like, what does pre-diabetic really mean? And like all under the philosophy of health at every size and just educating people because we're so, we're just so brainwashed to believe that it's fat people that have heart disease. And I know for those of you, I know this may be triggering and fly in the face of what you believe and, and that's okay. And I honor your beliefs. These are just mine. And if for those of you that are finding like this feels like drinking water in a desert, I'm so glad that I've had the courage to do this. Okay. Got a few more here and they're kind of getting juicier and deeper. So number nine, this was, yeah, (laughs) this was, this was good. This was really good. Not everyone who has lost weight is happy and has done it intentionally. We praise and comment on weight loss like it's the most profound accomplishment, assuming it's a great thing for that person. Meanwhile, they could be anorexic, you know, and not eating, starving themselves. They could be in chemotherapy or some kind of treatment that's causing it. They could be dealing with a chronic disease that we don't know about. They could be dealing with trauma 
a close friend of, of mine had major trauma and lost a ton of weight and she was tortured by it. They could be bulimic and just throwing up everything. And we are like, oh, you look so great, you know? And meanwhile, we are affirming illness and we're affirming that negative circumstance that they're in. So being thin is not always a good thing. So find other things to compliment people on. You just don't know. You might be complimenting suffering that they're going through. Yeah. And conversely, number 10 is not everyone who is fat is struggling, right? My own belief, right? Not everyone who's fat is struggling or unhealthy or should be on a diet. Not every body who is fat or in a bigger body is a before picture, y'all. Oh my God. When I started to see stuff about that, like I am not a before picture. Oh my God. It just struck me to my core. Not everyone who gains weight lacks self-control. If you don't know why somebody's gained weight, you don't know their story. I am healing. I am gaining weight as part of my recovery. And it's a good thing for me. It's a good thing for me. All right. Number 11. All right. Let's talk the media. Okay. So I know I talked vaguely in the beginning about our culture and just sort of kind of everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid. So here's a couple other surprising things that I just learned deeper. Like I'm not an idiot. I know that the media and blah, 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 women's body image, blah, blah, blah. I know. And I mean, blah, blah, blah with respect, but it's like, it's deeper or just at least for me, it took my education even deeper. Number 11 is what I see or what I don't see in the media has a huge impact on my self-image even more than I possibly really connected to. Of course, right? Like I knew this at some level, but now I see like the gravity of the brainwashing, literal brainwashing. There is little to no representation in the media or even like in leadership of large sized people who are portrayed as smart and savvy and respected. You see uh, bigger people, women and men, as like the ditzy sidekick, like eating the donuts, making the smart ass comments, right? That's like often a betray, uh, how they're portrayed. Or they are the protagonist, but they're always like trying to lose weight. Like that's a central part of their story. So prior to diving into this and discovering awesome, large size activists and role models, I mean, I got, oh my God, I got so many books. Sonia Renee Taylor, The Body is Not an Apology. Oh my God, this book is, ah. Amazing. Uh, you have the right to remain fat by Vergie. Oh my God. This book, this book is amazing. I'm holding up books to the, to the camera, but I definitely will put them all in the show notes. And my Instagram now is just riddled with body positive people or body liberating or body neutrality, or there's all kinds of ways of putting it. And it's and now actually really like Instagram because I could, that's what I'm seeing in my feed. And I, I find it really, really helpful. But prior to that, I like basically had Oprah And I know she had her challenges, but she still always sort of remained a bigger person. Melissa McCarthy, who I love, favorite actress, who's also like bigger, but not trying. Everyone's always trying to lose weight. She's happy as a clam, how she is and amazing. And then there was like one of the first original plus size models was M, right? That's about it. So this has had a huge impact on how I see myself. And now I understand more fully, honestly, what people of color deal with or trans people deal with or disabled people deal with other underrepresented groups in the mainstream media. Yes. I just, I feel like I understand it more fully. (sighs) And number 12, this probably was the most shocking for me. There's a lot to unpack with this one and I'm going to keep my comments brief, but I will for sure give a resource for this. So number 12 is that the, or this is what I 
was shocked to find out. And then once I was shocked, I couldn't believe how shocked I was because it seemed so obvious, which is that the origins of our belief that a thin, that thin bodies are the best bodies is rooted in white supremacy. When I heard it on a podcast back January, February, I was just like, what? And of course, this is right on the tail of our huge awakening in our country. And it was right in the space of me inquiring what role I was going to play in the conversation. And then I'm hearing that this choice that I've made about my body and this journey that I'm on is now connected to racial bias. <sighs> now, nine months later, and hours of studies on racism and unconscious racial bias, I'm amazed at how much this caught me by surprise because it's really so apparent when I like really look at it. So the main book on this is Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia by Sabrina Strings. Fearing the Black Body. And just the cover is so, when you see it, when you look it up, if you're not watching this on video, it's just the cover shakes me. I like keep it in my office because it's so, has so struck me. So here's just a little bit about the book. The author argues that the contemporary ideal of slenderness is at its very core, racialized and racist. Indeed, it wasn't until the early 20th century when racialized attitudes against fatness were already entrenched in the culture that the medical establishment began its crusade against obesity. It's deep, y'all. It's deep. And I have really, it's really fascinating to watch how the universe has kind of created this curriculum for me. First, starting with my own body and my own realizing my own unconscious anti-fat bias. And then I started to deep dive into my racial bias and I'm still in that process and realizing how fucking connected they are. And it's actually helped me just learn about myself and an unconscious bias in general, and just learn how pervasive it is and just learn how, just how we could internalize all that and how many marginalized people do internalize their own biases uh, against themselves. Ah, oh my God, y'all. So it's heavy and real. And it also has inspired my social justice and racial justice or racial equality efforts on the show to have more people of color. There's a lot that's going on for me with this. So that's big. So that's number 12. <laughs> I laugh just because there's just so much here. So I want to end with sharing with you what are the benefits been so far with me for this journey? Because I think that's really important to, to show you oh my God, she's like gained weight. And like, is it really worth it to eat whatever you want? And like, so I will tell you, it is so fucking worth it. Not just because I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want, as much as I want, because that fucking rocks. Ugh, just the dropping of the guilt and the shame. So anyway, okay, let me read what I have in my notes here so I don't go too far off script. Okay, so here's what I want to say about that. I have peace with food. I don't think about what I'm going to eat all the time. <laughs> I don't worry about what's going to be there wherever I go. I don't pack my own food ever anymore. I don't wake up doing a postmortem on what I ate the day before. And I, y'all know who I know, you know, some of you relate to that. I don't fear food related situations like I used to. I also enjoy what I eat. Oh my God, so much more, especially when I'm hungry. Like sometimes I will eat dessert 
like I will eat a piece of chocolate, like a high quality. I'm so over all the crap chocolate. So I'll eat a piece of like C's as these really cool peanut butter hearts. And I, and they're like, have a little bit of salt and I'll eat one of those. And I'll just, it'll be like an orgasmic experience. Like I just enjoy what I eat so much more. I have space to think about other things. <laughs> this is a good one. Mondays are just Mondays. <laughs> they're not a day to make promises about um, turning over a new leaf. I love saying it. So I'm just gonna say it again. I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want, as much as I want, with very few exceptions. Like one exception is I do have a sensitivity to gluten, not an allergy. And now I know for sure that if I eat lots of gluten for several days in a row, I feel crappy. So I just am mindful of it. That's it. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. And that's where I used to be like, no gluten, no dairy. Like I used to think that I was sensitive to dairy. It's not true. I'm not. So I've let go of all of my rules all of my rules. And you know what I mean? Y'all like not eating after 7 PM and only eating dessert on weekends and not using real butter, not using fruit, too many carbs. And I mean, I can go on and on. And I know, I mean, you have all your own rules. They're really funny when you really start to look at it, how many rules we have. I can do all of this now. And now when I'm 80 years old, I don't have to be like, God, I wish I earlier and younger was enjoying my life and not so worried about food in my body. I don't have to wait until I have some kind of diagnosis or I'm surviving a cancer. I'm doing it now, y'all. I'm doing it now. I could focus on living my life instead of waiting for a certain body size or shape or whatever. I can enjoy the beach and vacation without worrying about clothing. I'm not completely rocking my bigger body in the bathing suit, strutting my stuff. I'm not yet there. But I got more comfortable naked, you know, back a few years ago. And so I'm hoping all of that work will kick in here. But I'm, I'm working with a body grief coach, not a body image coach, because I realized and now know that I have to grieve the loss of that body. I'm learning to love myself unconditionally. This is the benefit, right? We're talking about what have been the benefits so far. Loving myself unconditionally, truly unconditionally not with, but this, or things that are subtle that I'm not aware of. And I'm learning to trust my body. That's the thing that's so confronting. I am all about intuition and being, following my gut. And I was completely not listening to my body when it came to what it needed. I'm learning it's okay to be bigger. The word fat is even growing on me, y'all, which is a miracle. It would be nice to reclaim it. Like, you know, we reclaim the word slut. That's what I'm, what I'm going for. <laughs> and I'm learning to see fat people as more than just their body size and seeing them as credible and worthy, just like me. And I'm learning it's okay to grieve the smaller body. I thought I should have, and maybe even grieve like the way that it moved and, you know, felt and all that stuff. That's okay. It doesn't mean I need to have the smaller body. It just means I need to honor my process. And I'll say it again. I'm learning to love myself appreciate my body and talk to myself with 100% love and compassion all the time. And that is a huge undertaking. And I invite you to step up your game and that in some way, step up your game around that. Cause I think we all could be better at it. All right. So to wrap things up here, if you are triggered by all of this in any way or any of it in any way, it's totally understandable. If you're worried about my health, Know that you are imposing your beliefs about what is healthy on me. <laughs> and I learned about this new thing in all of my studies and podcasts and books was something, there's something called concern control. 
And when somebody uses their concern about my health or my body, they're trying to control me. So don't do it to me and don't do it to other people. Let them live their lives. Okay. I know that most people will think I'm crazy and that it will fly in the face of their health goals, their way of eating, you know, their beliefs about the way to best fuel their body, um, what creates energy, longevity. Like I totally get it. And I am processing all that for myself, but I know what I'm doing is the right thing. So I'm just processing all that. I get it because I did the same for me. Some of these I no longer believe and some I do. And I'm choosing to take a different path. That's just it. I'm choosing to take a different path. And if any of this resonates with you, welcome aboard. <laughs> and if it doesn't, that's okay too. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. I am following what I feel is best for me. So for me, I now believe that letting go of stress, control, and negative thoughts about myself, the benefit of that far outweighs any of the other benefits. And for those of you who feel this way of thinking and being is for you, I'm so happy <laughs> that this episode made it to your ears or that the video made it to your eyeballs. You are why I am coming out about this. You are why I am coming out about this. You are why. You are why I'm confessing my crazy. <laughs> so welcome to the beginning of body liberation. <sighs> All right. Last thoughts here. Uh, thank you for listening so far and honoring me with listening so far. I am still very much in process, y'all. That's what I, I really want you to know. I am still very much in process. I, I hope to do like another episode in a year and just share that I rock in my bikini in like Main Street, USA or something, you know. One of the videos that I'm sharing in the show notes is a woman doing just that. It's amazing. TED Talk. So I'm still very much in process. I have come a long way and I'm still recovering from diet culture and internalized fat phobia. I'm still learning to hear the subtle ways that I judge and shame myself. I am not an expert, far from it. And that's why there's all the resources below this episode or the video, books, podcasts, all kinds of stuff. And I still have fears about being seen in my current body that is bigger likely bigger than the body you last saw me in. And that is because I'm still processing my own feelings around being in a bigger body. And when I'm stronger with all this, I won't give a fuck. <laughs> Just like I will be as unapologetic about this as I am about everything else in my life. And I look forward to that time. Um, when that happens, I will feel like I will be whole and unstoppable. And I will be able to take a stand for you at even a greater level of depth about you getting fucking real about what is in your way. So huh, thanks for listening. Doing this has been calling me for about a month. My coach really gets what I do and really sees that this is part of what was something is important. And I appreciate all the support and all my coaches and guides that have really supported me and all my friends and my family and my hubby and my daughter and uh, my mother who formerly worked for Weight Watchers and everybody's support for me, just finding my way. And I think that's what keeps all those people in my orbit because they've always just let me find my way. If you want to be in closer connection with me around this conversation or any other conversation that I'm having with myself or with other people, join the GFR squad. It's $20 a month and we get together monthly and we confess and we get real and we speak our truth. Put that link in the show notes. And if this is your first time listening to the show, please subscribe because every guest we have is sharing their struggle 
that had a purpose that connects to their mission. Over and out for now.